Don't get me wrong. I love the marvelous Mrs. Maisel almost more than I really should, but... Carnival Row? It just might be the best thing on Amazon Prime. It may be one of the best new shows I've seen in a very long time. I'm really excited about it. Let's talk about Carnival Row on today's Project Shadow. Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, especially if you're reading my new book, Crucify My Love. And today, we're talking about Carnival Row. Now don't worry if you haven't watched it yet. Yes, you know, we're going to talk about it without spoilers first, and then I'll warn you before the spoilers start. Oh my goodness, I love this show. Almost unreasonably so. But before we get into all that, if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells podcast apps to share the show with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community, the bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually talking to one another. And after all, that's why I do this in the first place. That and to rave about shows like this. Okay. I was really excited about this show. I was so excited. I watched all the previews. I watched all the trailers. I watched every interview I could find with Cara Delevingne and Orlando Bloom and just really, really got excited about this show. Just, like I said, unnaturally excited. And then I watched it. <clears throat> and it was so much better than I thought it could be because... Let's be honest, when people do a fantasy show of any kind, they, they, they don't do the work that's necessary for the show to actually work, to function, to matter. But this show, oh my goodness, this show. I found myself wanting to write fan fiction after episode three. I found myself wanting to do cosplay after episode five. I wanted to be part of this fandom. I wanted this fandom to be huge and growing and everywhere because, oh my goodness, I love this show. So why? Why, you might ask, did I love this show so much? Number one, it's basically gas lamp fiction. And, oh, I I, I love me some Victorian stories. I really do. I'm a... I'm a sucker for anything Jane Austen or period piece. I, I really have a problem when it comes to that. It's one of the reasons why I'm kind of into steampunk, and there's a little bit of that interlaced in this, too. Not enough to probably make a steampunk purist call it a steampunk series, but I think the fashion's there, and, well, there are airships, so it, it's on the road. There's a lot of talk of steam power coming, so who knows what will happen in the future. It was also very good to see Orlando Bloom do something other than be the idiot next to Johnny Depp in a Pirates movie. So I like Orlando Bloom, and oh, he's so good in this, and so is Cara Delevingne. 
But I have to say, the the star of the show, the two people that really steal the show for me, were Tamsin Merchant, who plays Imogene Spurnrose, and David, I'm so sorry, I'm probably going to destroy your last name, um, Yassi, who plays Agrius Astrayan. These two characters for me more than anything else, and don't get me wrong, I love Rycroft, I love Vignette, I love Tourmaline. Ezra is a very interesting character. Jonah, I think, could be an interesting character, as long as they don't mess him up. Piety is wonderful. But Absalom, I can't, I can't skip Absalom. I mean, he was such a good one. But yeah... And then there's Sophie, but we'll talk about her more in spoilers. Oh my goodness, the characters were so good, but I have to say, it was Imogene and Agraeus, they stole the show for me. They had that story that you expect from that period piece Jane Austen's tale, except it didn't follow all the steps that you expected veered off in ways that were unexpected and expected, but really made me interested to see where their story is going to go, and the way it was played. You might know Tamsin Merchant from playing Lyra on Supergirl, Wynn's girl, alien girlfriend. Oh my goodness, she stole the show. In so many ways, she, to me, is the breakout star of this show, because Orlando Bloom, I already had really high hopes for, so same with Cara Delevingne and many of the other actors that were in this, to be honest. You know, Indira Varma, she's a great actress, and I expected her to be great. Same with Jared Harris. Really expected him to be good and amazing and awesome, and he was. And so many of the other characters were as well. But she played her character that demure yet cunning, um, like I said, Jane Austen character in this wonderful world where Fae and P are, are everywhere. And it reminds us so much of the Victorian era. The setting was brilliantly drawn. It, it really felt lived in. It felt like a place that you could go visit. It felt like you could go down to the row and hang out with the picks and probably avoid the pucks. It had enough forethought to realize that in a word like this, world like this, they would have specialized jargon. They would have slurs, <laughs> racial slurs that some people would use. And it made those, and it made them make sense, and they sounded natural coming from an English speaker's mouth. The characters made sense in the roles that they were in. And the story worked. See, our story is set after a devastating war between the Pack, well, the Pact, and the Berg. See, humans found out that Tirnanach, the land of the Fae, actually existed. And all the things that live in the Fairylands are real. And as great colonial powers do, they decided to colonize Tirnanak. And so many of the stories build out of the uh, 
aftermath of the war between the Pact and the Berg. And the Berg, which is a clear analog for Great Britain in this period of time, it was so well done. I I really just want to go off and on and on and on, but we're not into spoilers yet. So I can't really say much more before we get there. The way they handled the Fae's ability to fly, and the Puck's senses, and how they're able to read a room and understand things. The culture that they built in, where they took ideas that you were familiar with, like Haraspect, and actually included it in, in all of its gory detail, because we usually turn any of our seers into somebody who just crystal gazes or what have you. But for so long, they actually read the entrails of animals. And to see them actually do this, not just for shock value, but because it's integral to the plot and it makes sense. And that was the thing that made this show very interesting, is they didn't include superfluous details. The sex was in the show for a reason. It made sense. It explained something about the characters or the emotion of the moment. The same is true with the violence that takes place in the story. It's built out of the characters and the scenarios and doesn't feel like it's there just because a wizard did it. Even our villain, who shall remain unnamed until we get into spoilers... And maybe not even then, because I really want to make sure you all watch the show. Our villain, their motivations make sense within the setting, and actually would make sense in almost any setting. And that's what good fantasy should do. Even though we're using great and terrible things from variant mythologies and mixing them together quite well, The motivations that the characters have should be real and grounded, and they are in this show. Wonderfully so. Philo is an interesting character, and so, so is Vignette. And their relationship, which makes up the backbone of most of the series, is fraught, but not in the way that you would expect in a will-they-won't-they sort of way. They have a real and a complicated history, and the fact that the show decided to give us one episode of flashback where we get to see that history played out, so we have a better understanding of what actually happened back then, works so terribly well. Honestly, I only have one real gripe about the series, and that's that there were no filler episodes. The story is straightforward, and goes from beat to beat to beat, from episode 1 to episode 8, and then we're waiting for season 2. And the reason I want filler episodes is not just so it'd be longer, but just so I can spend more time exploring this world. It's a very interesting story, and I hope you watch it. So now we're going to enter the spoiler zone. If you have not seen Carnival Row and do not want to know anything that happens in the series, now is the time to step back, because I will be talking about events that happen throughout the course of the series. But I don't even think that this is the kind of show that if I told you how it ended, it would ruin anything, because 
figuring out the hows and the whys and everything was so good because I, I kind of figured out the ending before we got there. And then when I figured out why, when the show revealed why, oh, it was better than I could have anticipated. This show is just too good. So if you haven't already seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, now is the time to check out. Okay, you've been warned. So what do we have here? The story of piety. Oh, piety, piety, piety. Piety breaks spear. Now, my biggest problem with Piety breaks spear is they cast Indira Varma to play her, and while I love her as an actress, and I do, I do, ever since Rome, Rome was the first thing that I clearly recall her from, I have loved her as an actress, but unfortunately she has become a bit uh, typecast she play oh that's right she was Susie in Torchwood I forgot about that that was a little bit before oh my goodness she has become a bit typecast and so there was a little bit of when I saw her I understood that she would be involved in whatever the plot was in the story that she would be scheming and conniving and whatnot and oh she does it so well and she plays it so well but the fact that she would kidnap her own son Jonah Breakspear and hold him ransom so her husband would take out one of his opponents and hopefully at the same time teach her son a lesson oh, Oh, that was a stroke of brilliance and a masterpiece that worked a little bit too well. The longer bands were interesting foes in this series, and I really don't want to talk about Sophie too much because, again, like I said, I want to make sure people watch this, so I might wait a little bit more to talk about Sophie just so we can uh, get to the point where I feel like more of you have watched it. And I can really go into detail because I want to be thinking about the next season and where we're going to be going with this. Because, oh my goodness. This show, in many ways, and you know I hate to say this, I don't like making comparisons between things because I think things generally are what they are and it doesn't really work well to try to say that this is the new that or what have you, but in so many ways, this show is the spiritual successor to Game of Thrones. I think even more than the upcoming Lord of the Rings show on Netflix will... Or not, I'm sorry, it's going to be on Amazon Prime as well, will be. But the thing that makes this show different, and the thing that I think connected to it to me in a way that is much more powerful than Game of Thrones ever did, even though I really did love that show until... Dan and Dave ran it into the ground on the back of a dragon and an angry queen is the politics of the show. And I'm not saying because of the leftism or the right-wing characters or any of that sort of thing. What I mean is the politics is real. It's not our royal house versus their royal house in sort of a medieval pageantry sort of way. It is the various groups amongst the Fae who have different motives and different interests in doing things, even amongst themselves. 
they didn't make anything a monolith. The Pucks, for example, we see everything from the cultists that are going to play such a big part in the season to come, to, you know, Agraeus, down to the servants, many of the servants that we meet throughout the story. They all play an interesting and important part in the tale, but they don't make a homogeneous mix, which is something that a lot of shows like this really mess up on, where all of the whatever are the same. So you pick a group and you give them all one trait, and then they all exhibit that one trait. But the pucks that we meet, for example, much like the various picks and other fey creatures, they all have their own culture and heritage. The same with the humans. We have the highborn, the lowborn, those that are highborn that squandered their wealth, and those that are highborn that think they're just better than everyone else. Everyone has a motive that makes sense out of how they were raised and the circumstances of their lives. And allowing there to be that sort of cultural variance in the setting, especially when we see clear analogies to the Christian faith and the faith of the martyr, which is a very important part of the story, though not expressed deeply. They all make sense and they all play their parts all the way down to the Haru aspects, who is, like I said, such an interesting character, played by Alice Krieg, who I absolutely adore. And if you don't adore Alice Krieg, then I, I really don't know what to do with you. Most of you would probably know her best as the Borg Queen from First Contact, Star Trek First Contact. She's a great actress, and she plays the Haru aspect so well. But watching all of these different groups with their different motives, and even individuals within the groups having their own separate ideas and notions about things, is something that one, television shows don't do very well, two, something fantasy television shows rarely do well, and watching all of that come into conflict one with another, well that made the show work. Watching the various human factions and Pix factions and Puck factions and, well, the faction factions, because <laughs> there's just so many, and even within the same family they didn't all have the same solitary motive which is something refreshing to see. There's a complexity to the social mores, which you really want to see in something that is vamping a period piece like this. And all of that intrigue and all of that wonderful politics really all meshes and melds together to make a story that is so beautiful and dark and scary. And everything that I wanted it to be. And of course, I've gotten this far, and I haven't even talked about the prophecy about Philo. Because, ooh, Philo is a chosen one. But what is he chosen to do? Something greater than his father, we're told. And his father was Chancellor. They've already made notions, they've put in ideas that monarchies have been restored. But I think that that's going to play much more into Jonah's story, or maybe Sophie's. But only time will tell. The final 
moments of the first season really did set up a dark and twisted tale for season two that grows out of the actions that we see. Uh, I'm probably going to end up doing a lot of episodes about this series, just because even in spoilers here, I haven't even talked about the events of a single episode because there's just so much here. So I hope you enjoy Carnival Row and are ready to dig in deep in future episodes to talk about it more. I'm going to give you some time to watch it if you haven't already. Naughty you if you listened to the spoilers and you hadn't seen it yet. But it didn't really spoil much, how did I? Alrighty. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please do take a moment to rate it. It really does help out a lot. If you have a dollar to spare, it really would help me out so much. In the show notes, you'll find a link to both my Patreon and the Community Support tab. The difference between the two is people on Patreon occasionally get stuff. It really does help out a lot, and thank you to everybody who does that. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, that's okay. But if you know somebody you think might like this show, please do share it with them. That helps out a lot, too. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, down in the show notes, you'll also find the link to our voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean, so I can use it on the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can also hit me up on Twitter or Instagram. I'm C. Dorset on both, even though I'm terrible at Instagram, because I'm 42 years old. I live in the rusty belt of the butt. Rusty buckle of the Bible Belt, and uh, I write all the time, so I don't really have a lot to take pictures of, but I'm trying. If you want to find links to everything that I do, you can go over to ProjectShadow.com and find them there. Thank you ever so much for listening, and hopefully we'll be going back to the row very soon. Until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.